we're going to cover this entire book in the exam. And they begin to freak out and get big-eyed because they've studied. If, if you've been there, you pretty much study what you think is going to be on the test, not really what's in the book. Because that means you have to read the whole book. And so they just weren't ready. And the teacher day passed out the test and put a face down. The professor said, don't look until everybody has a test and I've seen them again. And so they all waited for the test to come. Scared to death about being able to look at the whole book and thinking I'm in trouble if I find 40% of my grade. When the professor says turn it over, they all turn it over and all of the answers are already given. And at the top of the page of the test is 100, an A plus, and they all received that for the final. A note at the bottom of the page said, your final exam is now over, all your answers are correct, you're blessed with an A on the final exam. They all looked at the professor in astonishment, and when he was sure all the eyes were on him, he said, you passed the test for only one reason, because the creator of the test took the test for you. All your study time, class time, and hard work and preparation for the exam did not help you get the A. You have just experienced grace. Let's pray. Father, help us to all know grace. To all ask for it. To all be able to give it. And to understand it a little bit more. It is mind-boggling for us that the creator of this world took the test for us. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I love grace for me. You like grace for you? Where I have trouble, it's when it's for some other people that I don't really care about. What if you're in that classroom and you get the A on that test and you study and you think, I probably would have gotten an A anyway. And there's some bonehead sitting right beside you who never studied, who was flunking the class, and they got an A too. Would there be part of you to think, well, that's just not fair? Anybody besides me have that flaw in their character? <laughs> Sometimes we think grace is great for some people. I got some pictures of some people that did some horrible things, and I know to a man and a woman, every one of you will want to give them grace. Let's look at number one. There's another one. Do they deserve grace? There's a keyboard all in the <laughs> I hope that's not a scarfie. In your mind, 
of somebody that maybe is in the news or somebody that hurts you or somebody that you thought, I'm not for them. I'm going to paint a picture with words today of somebody that, well, I don't think they deserve it. And then it makes me think, I'll do any of it. Second Chronicles chapter 33 tells the story of a 12-year-old that I don't even think Orbit could have. He was in trouble. Verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. 12-year-old king. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, was dead. At the ripe old age of 12, Manasseh takes his place. And Hezekiah was a good king, and Manasseh, well, he was a disaster. <coughs> Why do I say that? Look at verse 2. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. So he become just like the enemies that God had kicked out of the land. No difference anymore. He lived like the pagans. The New Living Translation said he followed their detestable practices. Other translations use words like these about Manasseh. Abominable, despicable, loathsome, disgusting, revolting, vile, heinous, atrocious, horrid, and evil. You get the picture. What did he do in particular that was so bad? We begin at verse 3. He rebuilt the pagan shrine, the idols. Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up a shirakol like a totem pole. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped them. Anything that he thought might be a god or anybody ever worshipped, he would put those on his list. Verse 4 says he built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. The place where the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple in God's house. I don't like that. I bet you don't either. And I want, well, I want God to get it. Lightning bolt. <laughs> Hitman, something. I want God to do something to Manasseh. Wipe him out. Let him have it. You know what God does? <coughs> Nothing. So time passes. Manasseh grows. He's no longer 12 years old. He's now old enough to know better. He's married and has children and look what he does to them in the first part of verse 6. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Benham. His children were sacrificed in fire. His son. This is an evil man. And I'm ready now for God to zap him, aren't you? I'm ready for something to happen. You know what God does? Nothing. You ever wish you were a cop when you're driving? You ever see somebody? Okay. Well, a lot of us do. 
You see somebody do something, you thought, man, right now, I wish I was a state trooper. Or you ever wish you were a judge? When you see somebody and they're going to slap on the wrist, you think, I could have done better than that. And we all have it in. Let's keep reading about Manasseh. The second part of verse 6 through verse 8. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft. He consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. And I'm saying it's about time. Maybe he's about to do something. Manasseh even took a carved idol he had made and set it up at God's temple, the very place where God had called David and his son Solomon. My name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites would be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But Manasseh's changed all of that. And Judah is now worse than the people that were there before. They're worse than their enemies. Verse 9. Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. And so you scratch your head and you think, what's God up to? Why nothing? Why all of this patience with this character? Finally, in verse 10, God sends a message to Manasseh. The first part of verse 10 says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. If you could speak to Manasseh, what would you say? Can't talk like that in the church or what? <laughs> if you could talk to Manasseh, can you think about what you would say? Let's let music do the talking for us, shall we? That's just me. How do you respond to the message that God sent? How do people respond? The second part of verse 10 tells us. They ignored him. They ignored all of his warning. You wonder what the warning is, don't you? Well, good news. This same story is told in the book of 2 Kings chapter 21. And we see God's message in chapter 21 and verses 12 and 13. So this is what the Lord God of Israel said for Manasseh and for the people. I'll bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear about it will tingle with horror. I'll judge Jerusalem by the same standard I use for Samaria in the same measure I use the family of Ahab. I'll wipe away the people of Jerusalem with one wipes a dish and turns it upside down. That's the warning. And I say it's about time. Sorry. So, God keeps his word. And he sends the Assyrian army. 
And we pick up the story back in 2 Chronicles, verse 11 of chapter 33. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian army, and they took Manasseh prison. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to battle. And I say, hooray. It's about time. It's a good start with the nose ring and the chains. And look what Manasseh does in verse 12. While in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord of his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He's praying. Can you believe the nerve of this guy? By the way, you can read his prayer in the Apocrypha, the prayer of Manasseh. We know people like this, don't we? Only pray when trouble comes. Maybe you've been there. If you get me out of this one, God, I promise up and fill in the blank. But Manasseh praying, this no good child killing, I work thing miserable. It's, before I tell you what I really think of him, <laughs> look at verse 13. And when he prayed, what it said. The Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. That's an amazing story. It's incredible to me. Manasseh prayed and God listened. After all he had done. And so where grace makes me uncomfortable is when I think, you know, Manasseh ought to get it. Not great, but just get in. Whatever it is zapping. I have to realize that David has a story too. You have to realize you've got your own story. Like the prodigal son going home to his father. Like a thief on the cross entering heaven. Like Zacchaeus being called down from the tree. Like Saul being blinded by the light. Like Levi that we talked about last week being called from the tax booth. Like the woman of the well being given a new life. God, because of his grace and mercy and love, looks at Manasseh and says, I've been waiting. You ever said that to you? I've been waiting. I have to realize that I need to show grace to all the world, whether I like it or not. No matter how I feel about it. Because I've been given the gift of grace. The story told about Fiorello LaGuardia, who was mayor of New York City long ago. It was during the worst days of the Depression. He was only five foot tall. They called him the little flower because they always wore little flowers, lapel, a carnation. He was a colorful character. He would ride the New York City fire trucks, raid speakeasies with the police department, take entire orphanages to baseball games to see the Yankees. When the New York papers were on strike, Mayor LaGuardia would get on the radio and read the Sunday comics so the kids would know what happened. 
it was January of 1935. The mayor sometimes would show up in court and replace the judge hold court himself. He's in the poorest, one of the poorest wards in the city, and a lady came before his bench, charged with stealing a loaf of bread from her hungry family. She told the guardian that her husband had deserted her, and her daughter was sick, and her grandchildren were starving, and she had no money. That's why she took it. And the shopkeeper was there to press the charges. He wouldn't drop them. He said, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor, and she has to be punished to teach the other ones around here a lesson. So LaGuardia sighed, and he had to do what the law made him do. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. She didn't have ten dollars. But as he was pronouncing the sentence, he reached in his pocket and pulled out a $10 bill. He tossed it to his hat saying, here's a $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. And so the bailiff went around the courtroom and collected the fines from everybody there. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was collected and then turned over to the bewildered lady who'd stolen a loaf of bread to feed her kids. Petty criminals and people with traffic violations and New York policemen, all who had paid 50 cents, gave the mayor a standing ovation when he took the money and gave it to the lady. The shop owner, not so much. Here's the question, and I love the story. Did the lady get what she deserved? No. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Because we all have our stories. There's a little Manasseh, hopefully not that bad, but there's a little Manasseh in, in all of us. All of us are thieves. All of us are guilty. <coughs> All of us need to ask to receive grace. Easter's two weeks away. But we celebrate the message of Easter every day. That God took the test for you. And let's pray together. Lord God, what a gift we have been given. Forgive us when we do little with it. Thank you for paying fine that you died on a cross for us. Thank you for the gift of grace and we love for ourselves and help us to get a clue that it's for all the world. Help us to be people to share it, to forgive, to pray, to be influenced by God-like love, sacrificial love, forgiveness and grace. Every moment of every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing today. It could be a hymn of invitation if there's something you need to do to join with this church family or come to the front and pray, whatever you need to do. But it's a hymn of celebration today. We're just going to stand and as we're dismissed, we're going to sing as our prayer is.